As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Colin Netterkorn, founder and CEO of Customer.io. You'll learn all about the early days and the tactics they used to build traction, and then how they converted that traction into an unconventional round of funding to rocket them to profitability. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy, and we've actually been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. You should go to codeship.io slash rocketship 
to check out videos and tutorials all about how you can start using CodeShip to deploy your product in a better way. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. It made collaborating with our entire team incredibly easy, and the annotation tool alone saved us hours of back and forth. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. This comes complete with unlimited screens and unlimited collaborators. Trust me, this is an essential tool for teams of all sizes. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Colin Netterkorn, the founder and CEO of Customer.io. Colin, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for those that may not know, um, what is Customer.io? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. We, we really struggle to, to answer this question, but essentially uh, we, we're an email marketing platform designed for web and mobile apps. So if you've got a product that people create accounts for and people sign up for that product, you hook in customer IO and it, it, uh, it'll give you, you know, the, the ability to send a bunch of emails that are traditionally really, really hard to send. Um, so emails based on what those people are doing in, in your product. Okay. Awesome. And so how did you guys discover, um, this problem? Well, um, we, John, my co-founder and I were always both really interested in analytics and we were exploring doing an analytics product and pretty much every company that we talked to that we pitched our analytics product idea to gave us this feedback that sounded something like, well, analytics is great. I've got three products that do that type of thing already. What would be really amazing is if you could take that data and then uh, use it to do something like email someone or send someone a text message to actually change their behavior. So I don't, you know, it's, it's not that valuable to me to have another place to look at what's happening. I actually want to influence what's happening. Um, so that was the, the genesis of the idea. It's expanded a, a bit from there, but um, the, the goal has always been to kind of use the data use analytics like data to send smarter emails to people. Nice. So you guys ha- um, raised a little bit, basically a seed round um, mm-hmm. to kind of get to where you are today. Uh, tell us about that experience of raising and what are your future plans um, for kind of financing the company? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> we've, we've kind of treaded this line between the, I, I, I guess it's a term that I, I came up with called fund strappers. We, we raised some money, but our intention going forward is to, um, is to grow on the revenue of the business and, and not pursue additional funding. Um, we, the, the folks that we work with, our, our investors are, are fantastic. Um, they're primarily um, angel, angel investors and those, the smaller funds that tend to do, uh, tend to do seed rounds. So we, ha- we don't work with any, any big VCs or anything like that. Um, and and w- what we found is that the, the growth in the business was so strong and that initial capital gave us the, the boost that we needed to, to really build a sustainable growing business. Um, so it was fantastic at the time. I don't think we would have been able to, to do this without it. 
Um, but from, from now on, uh, we're, we're just growing at, I think usually it's like 10 to 15% a month in, in revenue that, um, we don't see the need to, to continue raising capital. Nice. That is, that is really cool. Um, and how do your, uh, investors feel about not taking on, uh, that series A? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. We, most of our investors have been really happy with the progress, or actually, I don't mean most, all of our investors have been really happy with the progress. So we haven't, uh, we haven't had anyone upset, upset with us or yell at us for not pursuing, um, further funding. We're, we're in a bit of a interesting situation that I'm kind of working through right now where we, we did our initial funding with a convertible note and the convertible note has, uh, has a maturity. And at the end of, at the end of that, usually, uh, people convert into common stock. So we are kind of going through this process of, of having our investors convert early since we're not doing a, another round. Um, and that's probably a, a blog post that I'll, I'll write when it's all said and done, but it's, it's not a common occurrence and nobody really knows what, what happens when a convertible note doesn't, doesn't convert from a later round. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting experience, but our investors, by, you know, have been tremendously supportive of us. I've tried a lot to find out, um, if there's a common way of handling convertible notes in, in the case that you don't raise a C, uh, series a round and I cannot mm-hmm. find anything about it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll write what we did at least and, uh, and share that with you, but it, it'll become uh, best practice. <laughs> What what stage were you guys at when you raised the the first round? Well, we so we raised our friends and family. Um, oh, actually, okay. So on day one, we had five paying customers. So we we decided to do this idea in January, and by April had a barely working prototype. And April first, twenty twelve, was our our first day working full time. And our target for that was to have at least five people paying us. Um, they were all paying us $10 a month. So we had essentially like $50 in monthly recurring revenue on, on day one of being uh, full-time on customer IO. Nice. And, um, and yeah, and, and we grew it, we grew it from there, but by the time we, so we raised our convertible note in two stages and I, th- if I remember right, the, the friends and family, we, you know, we had like a few hundred dollars or maybe, you know, maybe even like a hundred dollars in recurring revenue at that time. And so, you know, those, those folks know us really well and we're investing in us. Um, and then the, the round that, that when we extended the note and took in a, a bunch more money in January, 2013, um, that, I think at that point we were at a, around five thousand a month in recurring revenue, maybe like five five to ten, but nothing nothing really significant. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices: construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT and T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. 
And did that make a significant difference in how easy it was to raise around with angels? Yeah. I mean, we, we were, we were lucky in that, um, really early on David, uh, David Tish, who, who does, uh, his, his investment group is uh, box group. He, he, I had known him from before and John, my co-founder knew was, was really good friends with some other folks that he had invested in. So he had a lot of trust, I guess, in, in our team. So he took an, an early chance on us when we really had nothing, nothing to speak of in terms of revenue. Um, and I think that it, it really helps to raise additional money when you have people um, that, that others know behind you already. Um, so that, that certainly, that certainly helped, but I think like the, our revenue trajectory was really what, what helped it helped make it easier to raise money down the line. So what did raising do for your growth? If you, you went from essentially 50 bucks to five, six, 7,000 on your own, and then you raised mm-hmm. that larger round, did your growth like skyrocket, um, to some degree, (laughs) or did you continue to grow really at that same rate? It just allowed you a longer runway. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I think the, you know, it's, it's a a wonderful presentation. Uh, and, but it's, it's starting to get, get around the the community now, but Gail Goodman's presentation, um, she's the CEO of constant contact on the slow SAS ramp of death. Um, that's, that's pretty much true, right? Like you, you start on day one and SaaS revenue is compounding, um, but you, you can't really shortcut it. Um, so if you're starting a SaaS business, having savings or having investment gives you the runway that you need to get to, get to the point where your, um, your revenue can cover things. So share as much as you're comfortable sharing here, but I'm curious about the, the convertible note. What are the costs of preparing something like that? Did you have to work with lawyers or were you able to find at least most of what you needed online and make modifications um, to a smaller degree um, with a lawyer? What, what are the, really the costs of raising a small round? Yeah. Um, I, and this is something that I is, is always tricky, right? You're, you're raising some money. It's, it's going to cost you something to do that if you use a lawyer. But I think the risks of not using a lawyer are much greater than the costs of doing so. Yeah. One of the one of the reasons that people choose convertible notes is they tend the legal fees tend to be a lot a lot lower um, than if you were uh, if you were doing a priced round. And um, yeah, I would I would certainly advise you to to use a lawyer. We we got introduced to a bunch of different law firms, and I I didn't feel comfortable going with the like big big named law firms. It just seemed like you would, you would end up paying a lot and not get a lot for your money. And, um, luckily we were, we were introduced to a fantastic lawyer who was independent, but had worked at a bunch of the, the bigger, the bigger firms, um, and kind of focused specifically on, on, you know, early stage internet companies. So, um, she knew the exact advice to, to give us and had, had been through a lot of these things before and knew a lot of the, the counter, you know, even knew the counterparties, um, at, at some of the, the investors that we had. So definitely use a lawyer, um, try to find someone who's knowledgeable about, about tech. Um, and I think the, if I remember right, 
the the typical range for a convertible note I think is something like uh, five to five to ten k in legal fees. You might you might see higher than that, but I I believe that's that's what you should expect to pay in legal fees. And to be prepared to raise that the proper structure as a C corp. Yes. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine has an LLC and he's in the process of doing a raise and, you know, and pretty much any, any LLC will have to convert to a C corp at the, at the time they're doing a raise from, um, your, your typical investor. Interesting. Yeah. We've heard that a lot. I forget who I was talking to the other day, but they said that they, they structured as an LLC because one of their investors wanted that. Um, I think since they were not going to be profitable for some time and I think the loss, you can deduct more out of an LLC. So right. even though they would have to convert down the road, they wanted the LLC structure from the start, but that doesn't seem too common. So yeah, interesting thing about, about C-Corps is um, you can't have ghost C-Corps. Like, so if you create a, a C-Corporation for your company, um, you have to have employees and um, what what we did initially, since we had full time jobs and a C corp, was we paid ourselves minimum wage for the. As soon as we realized that you have to pay people, <laughs> yeah, and you have to pay them at least minimum wage, we we paid ourselves minimum wage from from the C corp that we had. That's but, awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's there are no sh- no shortcuts there. Uh, to <laughs> once you create a C corp, you're you're committed to pay someone. <laughs> so transitioning back to uh, your product, before you've said that uh, you like to let people know what you stand for, that people buy what the company stands for just as much <laughs> as what the product does. Can you talk a bit about that and how you guys learned that? Maybe what you do to to communicate that to your customers? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, so you're, you're selling to a few, different, a few different people. You're selling to potential employees... Um, you're selling to potential customers. Um, and I think it's, it's important, especially, so the, the company that I was thinking of as, um, after I, after I wrote that to you was a company like Buffer. Um, so Buffer's, Buffer's a really fantastic, fantastic company. Um, but if you look at, if you look just at the technical nature of the product, a, uh, someone might come along and say, "Well, hey, I can replicate that functionality, but you won't you're, you won't be able to unseat Buffer by replicating the functionality of their product because that's not what people are buying, um, or it's not just what people are buying. A lot of people pay Buffer monthly because they buy into the Buffer philosophy, and some of that has to do with remote teams. Some of that has to do with like." radical transparency into, you know, everything the business is doing. And like people are making buying decisions at big corporations and at small companies too, based on the the brands that they like. And if you can create a company uh, and a company that people like and want to do business with, then if you're, if your product is sufficiently good, they'll pick you over a competitor. Um, I think your, your product needs to back it up. But, um, but it's just as important to convince people that you're someone that they want to work with. Sorry, I was just going to ask, how, how do you really do that on a practical basis? Is it through blogging? Is it through your marketing efforts? How are you showing 
who you are to your audience? Yeah, I mean, it, it starts it starts on on your homepage. Uh, ours ours is not particularly great at the moment, but uh, but it definitely starts there with the with the language that you use there, um, and it and when people sign up for your product with the welcome email that they get once they sign up um, and how you, how you deal with, with problems that, that come up um, when, when we have, you know, we're, we're an email product that sends on behalf of a bunch of other companies and they rely on us for, for that type of thing. And, and when things go wrong, we have two choices. We can try to brush it under the rug or we can be really open with people about, you know, what happened, what we're doing to fix it, um, and take, take responsibility for the things that go wrong. And, you know, uh, we, we do our best to avoid issues, but we're, we're human too. And that those things happen and the times that, um, that they've, that they've happened and we've been really open with people about it. They've appreciated that, that openness. And I think, um, in general, if, as long as you're kind of working more than you're broken, then, um, those, those situations where things go wrong are an opportunity to show people how you, how you deal with that and increase their trust of you rather than decrease it. Nice. So another thing that you mentioned, um, was when you launch follow the money. Um, I know there's gotta be a good story behind this. Um, of listening possibly to the wrong people. Um, can you give us any insight into this? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, so I, I really, I get a lot of value out of the, the hacker news community. I don't know if you guys are, are there and read, read the comments, uh, when, when people post things, but if you were to, let's say you, you're launching your product soon and you decide to post it to hacker news, um, by by and large, most likely the people who reply in the comments about your product are not going to be the people who pay you for it. They they might say, "Hey, your pricing is too high," or "You don't have enough features," or you know whatever it might be. And you can listen to that feedback and get really discouraged. Um, but the best feedback that you can receive is someone paying you for your for your service or for your product. And um, I would you know, listen to what those people have to say much, much more than anyone who's not paying you. Um, obviously, if people are telling you why they're not paying you, um, it's, it's good, to, good to take that in. But, um, but yeah, I mean, really, like if you, if you have a prioritized list of, of things to do, the, the priorities should be based on, you know, what's strategically important for your business, as well as what the people who are paying you are asking for. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you so much for coming on here um, and and sharing with us um, all about your funding. We weren't even intending to talk about that, but it's incredibly insightful. Um, so, where can we keep up with you and Customer IO on on online? Cool. Yeah. So, I'm I'm Alpha Colin on Twitter, and uh, Customer IO is just Customer IO on Twitter, um, and. Uh, yeah, that, that would be that would be a great place to to keep in touch and send send me tweets and I, I'd be happy to chat with you there. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Mm-hmm.